Hello, this is Brian McCormick welcoming you to another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from the Resource for Leaders, leadernetwork.org. Our National Leader of the Month is Bill Glass. Mr. Glass is founder and president of Bill Glass Champions for Life, a nonprofit organization that speaks with kids in schools, deals with youth in trouble with the law, and ministers to people in prison. Bill has authored numerous books, including his most recent, The Power of a Father's Blessing. He is also a member of the College Football Hall of Fame and has been a professional football pro bowler and member of a world champion team, the Cleveland Browns. Bill Glass and I spoke about his life and leadership and excerpts of our conversations are in three podcast episodes. In episode one, he discusses his amazing prison ministry. In episode two, he discusses the books he recommends for aspiring leaders, offers a story about leadership, describes the place he most likes to visit, and you will not expect it. Discusses his most admired leaders, Mother Teresa and Billy Graham. Shares his metaphor for leadership. Talks about the traits most important in a leader. Details an important piece of advice for leaders. And offers suggestions for dealing with followers who are not achieving their potential. In episode 3, listen to Bill Glass discuss his story. Explain the father figure void facing the prisoners he ministers to. And finally, talk about the goals on his horizon. But now, we begin with Episode 1 with National Leader of the Month, Bill Glass. What compelled you to select prison ministry as is kind of an area that you've really dedicated and focused a lot of your attention on? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, there was a man by the name of uh, Heffern, Gordon Heffern, who lived in, uh, at the time in Akron, Ohio. He was the president of Goodyear Bank, ultimately became the president of Society of National Bank in Cleveland. Anyway, on my board, I was doing citywide crusades, much like Billy Graham did. He served on the board for the first few years. I uh, started doing this while I was still playing pro ball. I was playing for the Browns, and I would, in the off season conduct the citywide crusades across the country. And then after I retired, I continued to do it on a full-time basis. And uh, that continued from, say, 65 through 72. Okay. And I and then I have continued that even till recently. But in 72, I, I had a strong departure from that in that Gordon Heffern said, you know, you really ought to try this in prison. That's where it's really needed. And the reason he did that is because he was he was doing a ministry, a sort of social action ministry in the uh, Cleveland, the Akron, Cleveland area. They had secured jobs from Goodyear and Goodridge and all the town rubber companies in Akron and many other places, and they got over 5,000 jobs over a five-year period for, for inmates. Wow. And in those days, they thought, you know, if you get a job for an inmate, that'll pretty well solve his problems. Okay. But they discovered it didn't. They discovered that that they they really had very few success cases where a guy would get a job and continue to progress with the company and do, do a good job and stay out of prison. Gordon said, you know, we've got to give these 
people some moral and spiritual fiber if when they get out they don't go back again because in many cases they were just, you know, a revolving door going in and out of prison and they they didn't really have much success to look at. Sure. So they said we've got we've got to do something to give these people more stability, morally and spiritually. So he challenged me to do in prisons what I was doing in the city was at the time taking in athletes. You know, I I took in Roger Staubach and Tom Landry and and Mean Joe Green and even had Michael Jordan go with us. And uh, on many occasions, we'd have like 80-90% of the prison coming to the prison weekends that we were doing. But I really didn't want to do it at all. But, uh, I really thought that, you know, I had not ever gotten in trouble with the law. I grew up kind of a square kid and I sort of the all-American boy and never got in trouble with the law. And I really thought somebody had to do it that had a little bit more uh, criminal background than I, than I had had. I didn't know how well I would relate to them. And I was really afraid, you know, that, that, that not so much afraid of the inmates for my own safety, but afraid that I wouldn't be adequate for the job, that I wouldn't be uh, able to really relate to them as I should. Sure. But he just kept pressing me, you know, if you say you believe what you say you believe, then you ought to try it where it's really tough in prison. Sure. So uh, I, I, he just, he, in essence, he would call me gutless, you know. <laughs> and, and when you say that to a football player, you, you know, you you it really does cause a response, and I I just avoided it for about a year or two. But finally, I decided to go in and try it. So I took with me Jim Houston, who's our big middle linebacker. I just retired from the Browns, so I, so I had all these contacts, and I took Jim Houston, the middle linebacker, and I took Cliff Ray, a big basketball player, and Paul Anderson, the strongest man in the world at the time. He was very very strong. He'd, pick up a platform loaded with inmates and they would he would drive a nail through a two to six and with his bare hand and he had all kinds of feats of strength and then we had a Cuban karate expert and baseball players, football players, athletes representing every sport. What we discovered is that the inmates would come out to see the sports clinic and they wouldn't go into the into the chapel though. I decided very early that, you know, a lot of the people that went to the chapel really weren't the ones we wanted to reach. We wanted to go for the people that never went to chapel, that were the real hardcore type inmates, and that they could come to one of our programs because they were going to see Roger Staubach, and they're going to see Tom Landry, they're going to see the world's strongest man, and they're going to see a Julian Grady expert. They weren't going to a, a church service. Sure. And we wanted to make it very appealing to the to the inmates, and the inmates are people that don't want to sacrifice their manhood by going to a little Christian service, so to speak. Sure. They're going to an athletic clinic, and we tried to make it as interesting as possible. We talked football. We didn't talk, uh, you know, religion. Uh, we talked about uh, our particular sport, and then we'd share our faith in a very, you know, non-hard-sell way, a very uh, relaxed way. And then we'd say, if you don't talk anymore about this, talk to one of our teammates. And we had 50 businessmen that went with us for that first weekend. And they sort of became the one-on-one counselors to the, to the inmates. And we'd just say, talk to one of the, the counselors. And uh, not a come-forward type invitation like Billy Graham or something, just talk to one of the counselors. Well, we discovered that they stayed in great numbers to talk to the counselors. Wow. And the, the longer the weekend went, we, we saw that it was just having a tremendous impact. And we had, you know, most of the inmates coming out of the programs. 
so I immediately began to get invitations from all over the country to go to prison because there's a there's a real sort of a network within the prison. They call it the grapevine within the prison where that you know, you can say something and one end of the prison within ten minutes everybody in the prison knows about it. <laughs> really? <laughs> but, but that's also true between prisons, so that so that everybody heard about it right away. Also, also, I was fortunately because the warden of that prison, that first one I did, was Pete Perini, who'd been a middle linebacker for the Browns before my day, maybe like five, ten years before I played, he was playing. And so he, he, we related to each other a while, and he just sort of said, what do you want to do? And, and I told him, well, I'd like to stay three days, I'd like to bring in athletes, I'd like to go out on the baseball field. You know, I wanted to, I want to have our meals with the inmates. We want to, don't want to, you know, be holy than thou. We want to be on their level. Sure. And he gave, he gave me all the, everything I wanted. And then I started getting invitations from all, from all over the country. Within weeks, I had, uh, you know, like hundreds of invitations. Governors of states would call me and say, come to all of our prisons. Like commissioners of prisons would say, come and do all of our prisons. And so I, you know, I just, I really didn't want to do any more. That was the only one I was going to do in my, in my thinking at first. But then I got more invitations I could take, and so I had to continue to do it. And also the the businessmen with, with me said, well, we're going to do another one. We, we love that. we got to do another one. So I was getting pressure from our constituency as well as from opportunities to go into different prisons. And it just sort of got out of hand in essence. And, and I began to see that, you know, this was really uh, a extremely effective way to reach inmates. And and uh, the Bible says, you know, the way you treat the least of these is the way you treat the Lord. So so I was realizing that uh, if you if you really love him, then you'll love the least fortunate. And I think you can tell a lot about a man's character and spirituality by how he treats those at the lower end of the sociological scale. And here's people that are, you know, Lord said, here's a man that's hungry, here's a man that's, uh, here's a woman that's a widow or an orphan or a hungry or a cold. And uh, he said, the way you treat those that are in prison is the way you treat me. So I uh, really did realize that I had to go and do that. And uh, I was given an invitation from everywhere, and I, it just sort of all fell together in a, in a beautiful way. It was, you have to say, I'd call it without being super spiritual, the leadership of God. <laughs> sure. Now we do 400 prisons a year, and we also working with kids that are that are that are in trouble with the law. We and we uh, we have we get mentors for those kids, and we also go to schools. The same athletes go to the prisons, also go to the schools, and to the kids that are you know in trouble. And uh, so we have three really a three prong ministry basically it's the kids that are in trouble with the law kids in schools and inmates in prison and we go to all you know all ages of people in prison however crime is basically predominantly i should say done by the young very few criminals start after the age of 40 you know it's usually while they're young sure at the time they're 40, they, they realize how stupid it is to quit. But, but you know, you'll find a lot of old men in prison, but, but they're still a very small minority. 
Sure. And then we also got the women's prisons, and the women, you know, used to, there was very few women in prison, and there still is predominantly a, a male uh, constituency population in prison, but but the truth is that uh, there are a growing number of women. Women are as mean as men in some cases. <laughs> hmm. So, uh, you know, it's still, I'd say, probably only about 20% of the people in prison are women, but, but there's a growing number. And uh, so we've been doing that now for 35 years. We discovered that when we go to an area, there'd be 10 or 15 or 20 prisons within a given area. So we do all of them simultaneously. So when I say I do 400 prisons a year, I'm saying that we'll, we only do actually 24 weekends where we're going there on Thursday night, Thursday, uh, Friday, Saturday, all day Friday and all day Saturday in the prison. Thursday we have preparatory work to, to you know, training and so on. Sure. And uh, But the, the, then we do a lot of day of camps where we're just in for one day. We do 60 of those. So... But when we do the multiple, we we can we'll do multiple prisons. We'll be in ten, fifteen, twenty prisons at once. Hmm. We set up in a hotel locally and, and have you know maybe thirty, forty platform guests and and have several hundred we call them teammates, counselors that go with us. We have a lot of bikers that go with us. They do a great job, and then they love to see the bikers bikers come in. You know. Okay. And they they're very responsive to that, and uh, so it's I think probably the greatest impact we've had uh, has been with the teammates themselves. We've had over thirty seven thousand different teammates gone with us at one time or another, the service counselors in prison, and uh, they have been you know they you, you continue to hear. People, I, I, I went to help inmates. I ended up helping myself more than anybody else. Hmm. You know, when you give yourself to serving those less fortunate, it always blesses you more than the one you try to minister to. Sure. That would be the most significant thing we've done is to, is to help Christians to see how important it is to reach out to those that are in prison. Hmm. They can really make a difference. Have you been able to discern any leadership in the prisons from some of the inmates? One of our most effective staff members is a guy by the name of Murphy Surfy. Jack Murphy is his name. He spent 21 years in Florida prisons, and uh, he was the original cat burglar. Okay. He's a person who's got a genius IQ, and he's been out now for 15, 16, 17 years, and uh, has been on our staff all that time, and is probably one of the most articulate people you ever see. He's a he's a genius, IQ wise, and uh, he goes with us. And you know, a lot of people uh, say, "Is this a lasting thing?" I think one of the answers is to get them involved in serving, you know, themselves, so they then they don't have the trouble of getting back in prison. I tell them, I'm not so interested in getting you to say, I'm going to quit doing this and so. You need to say, I am going to do something worthwhile with my life. Sure. It's your purpose to sort of stay out of trouble. You'll probably get back into trouble. If you set your purpose to help reach out to others and help others and be, be a productive citizen, then, you know, you don't have time to get in trouble. Sure. How important it is to have a productive life as opposed to a, non-productive life. Okay. 
This concludes Episode 1 with National Leader of the Month, Bill Glass. Move along now to Episode 2 as Bill Glass continues his discussion of leadership.